My name is Trip Gorman, and in this episode of Sumia VC, I sat down with Cristobal Perdomo, co-founder and general partner of Latin American venture capital giant Wallaf Ventures. While Cristobal was certainly humble about Wallaf during our interview, early investments into unicorns like Clavac and Nubank have made Wallaf very well respected in the region. Cristobal is also a board member of a number of breakout Latin American tech companies, including Zolvers, Bantrack, Liftit, Produteca, and observes the board at Castia. We discussed how the current tech downturn has affected Wallop's investment decisions. We discussed the differences between raising Wallop's first, second, and then third funds. We talked about the meaning behind some of his interesting tweets, and be sure to follow Cristobal's Twitter. I linked it in the description. And he also mentioned what U.S.-based VCs should know about investing in Latin America. Learn about all this and more in this episode of Samia VC. Okay, Cristobal, could you start by telling the audience a little bit more about your work history up to and including founding Wallop? Sure. So uh, I went to law school uh, with the idea of using it as a compliment for going to business. And I did an MBA trying to get into the VC uh, industry. But I was I was very naive thinking that probably they were handing out VC internships or recruiting at, at MBAs, right? That didn't happen until very, very, very uh, few years ago. So when I went there, I tried, I probably, I, I remember reaching out to, I think, over 400 firms, both private equity and venture capital. Only one of them replied back. And it was to tell me that I had sent to the wrong person, <laughs> that they had nothing to do with recruiting. Right? So that didn't get me any closer to that. Uh, before going to business school, I, I started doing entrepreneurship from a very young age, from the age of 14. I did every sort of stuff. I sold vacuum cleaners. I had a video game uh, machines in, in pharmacies. Uh, Stuff. So when I discovered during the internet boom that there was this thing called venture capital that helped entrepreneurs, I said, oh, I want to help people because that's, I never had any help. So I really want to want to be that person. Uh, so after having that, that difficult time in business school, I sort of forgot about it. Did a typical MBA track, you know, consulting, corporate strategy. And uh, then I ended up working for an internet startup partying, as part of the founding team in 2010 when I moved to Argentina. And there, I sort of recaptured that idea about being an entrepreneur and being a, a VC and, and things like that. So I did that for one for almost two years. We sold that company. Then I did another company, uh, also part of the founding team. We we didn't sell that company, but it sold off my 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 stake in the company to start uh, Wallet. And the the idea was basically, I think it remained intact the fact that there wasn't any VCs in Latin. Right? Uh, there were very few local VCs. And anyone that was doing something outside their country, they were doing that towards Brazil. So our idea was Mexico is very, very important for a Spanish-speaking Latin. Uh, we're Mexican, so we can build a fund that does regional stuff with Mexico as an anchor. And that was the, the start of Wolof in 2013. Could you tell us a little bit about your biggest investment win and why? Hmm. It depends on what you call a win, right? Uh, if you talk about return, our, our best investment so far has been Jeeps. Right? Uh, Jeeps has been a joke or not. A lot of it fueled by the last couple of crazy years, but still, the, the returns are, are we're, we're getting close to 100x on that investment, uh, paying several times of fund. Uh, and it's also been a great uh, trajectory relationship with the, with the founder, right? I think that one, while it's been the most successful investment, might not be the one I've I've enjoyed the most, not because it's not great, but because 
it, it's been sort of a smooth all the way up, right? We haven't hit those hard patches, which will hit some point. Right? Uh, but for example, Foodology is, is another company that I really like uh, because it's a very hard business. Uh, food preparation, food delivery is, is a very hard business. And it's a business that's being, feel, being built for the long run, right? And it's had to go through a lot of different iterations. Uh, it operates in four countries, uh, Colombia, Mexico, Brazil, and Peru. Uh, very different regulations, very different ways of doing things, very different tastes, right? Um, food is something that's very local, right? What someone likes in Mexico probably don't like in, in Argentina or what someone likes in Brazil, they don't like Peru. So it's, it's something very local. And the ability of having been able to share a lot of these challenges with the team, something I really like. You tweeted venture capitalists as individuals make plenty of errors, but venture capital as a financing system rarely does. Could you elaborate on that tweet? Basically, uh, if you ever hear any VC saying they have no no misses, you're talking to a liar, right? We've all missed great companies, and we will miss a lot more. <laughs> that that you never get over that. So I think individually we're very bad at decision making, but I think there's so much capital or so much people involved in the investing side that someone's going to pick it up. If it's a good enough company, someone will pick it up, right? Uh, it's very rare for a great company to not get some investment. So that's why I say as, as an industry, it has rare misses, right? Individually, we'll miss a lot. How has the current tech downturn affected how Wolof is making investment decisions in Latin America? Mm. So we've been pretty steady in the good times and the bad times, in the sense that we've never stopped investing. We never changed our criteria for investing. Uh, we've tried to make it better, but but we haven't started investing because you know someone was very cool and they were offering us a hundred million dollar valuation. We'll never do that. Uh, we don't care about about those early paper wins. I think the biggest change in this environment is there's a lot of other investors that are not making investments, and it's taking a lot longer than it used to. Right? We used to be very fast in once we commit to a, a firm we'll send the money no matter if they have closed around or not right? because we knew that would raise the money sooner or later nowadays unfortunately well we do commit early and we don't care about if, if the rounds close or not we, we will we'll commit but we won't fund fund that investment until we know the close the, the round is full right? and the reason for that is uh if we send our money and it ends up that they don't don't finish the round you know, it's very unlikely that we're going to be successful. So nowadays, we're that's the only thing we're more cautious with. What was the most challenging part of raising your first fund, and how did you overcome that challenge? I think so. Latin America has a problem that there's no natural investors for VC. Right? There's no endowments. There's no trusts. There's no large asset managers. There's no insurance companies. Companies don't have a pension fund that can that needs to invest in, in startups. So. Basically, you're limited to two main types of investors. One is family houses, and the other one is multilateral agencies, right? Uh, in our case, we, we were never any good with multilateral agencies like the IFCs of the world or the DIDBs. Uh, it's a different game, right? It's it's more not more so much about fundraising. It's about lobbying. It's about you know understanding the political implications of those things, and we're really bad at those, right? So we never got any ground on those. So our only option was family houses. Uh, I mean, the, the problem with time loss is that they don't have a territory for them, right? You, you, you didn't, didn't advertise. So it, it's a very slow process where 
one bit of crumb leads to another and, and you start building this network of, of investors and start talking to them. So I'd say the first thing is finding those investors. The second problem with LATAM at that time was that there had been very few investors in, in VC and the ones that had invested had had very bad returns. So their idea was, you know, I already tried this once. I've never got any money back. So if I ever get any money, I'm at rate best. Right? So 100% of the fund, of the funds we got for fund one came from people that had never invested in VC. Right? were the first investment. Uh, and that has gotten kind of better with each fund. So fund one took us almost three years to, to rise. Fund two took us about two, two and a half years. Fund three took us four months. Uh, and that's something that you hear often, especially from US investors who have a lot more experience with this, is that usually raise your fund with your two previous funds. Right? So you face raise fund three with fund one, two, fund four with fund two and three, and so on, right? Basically because by then you're able to see some history and, and, and make some judgment calls on some something more tangential than just, you know, these guys have great ideas. So thankfully our fund one and fund two have been great. And that's why we were able to raise fund three much easier. You mentioned in your intro answer that you had some difficulties getting into VC initially. What would you tell your past self knowing what you know now about getting into venture capital? I would take the, the same thing I would tell anyone wanting to go into VC is don't do it, right? This is like wanting to go to be an actor in Hollywood or want to be a professional football player. The odds of you making it are really, really small. So unless it's something that burns inside you and you have to do it, don't do it. Because most likely you're going to you're going to be failing, and it's going to be a very difficult time getting there. So thankfully, I had that, uh, and I think I had that from the beginning. So so I would have done the same thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this is not for everyone. I think this is something that's you really want to have to do it. Uh, it's not a great economic setup. Right? You will make much more money doing something else, at least in the short term. Uh, and you won't know if you're doing it correctly until maybe five, seven years into it. Right? So if you're not doing it correctly, five, seven years down the road, you're going to have lost those five, seven years. So that's why. I now want to talk about some of your board positions and some of your better investments that are uh, published on your LinkedIn. Could you tell the audience a bit more about your investment in Castia? So Castia uh, is one of our first pre-revenue investments we've done. And that's something we've improved over time. And it's starting to do things a little bit earlier sometimes. Uh, and for that type of investment, we decided doing it on two criteria, right? One is the founders have to be someone we know really well and really trust, and or we have to really know well the sector, right? So that we can only take on business risk, but we don't take on re reputational risk or sector risk, right? So Castia is a team of three founders which we thought were amazing. They had some of the best reference we ever heard from any founders we've, we've spoken with. Uh, and the idea was very resonating for us, right? It was a problem that was very easy for us to understand. The problem they solve is basically, how, how do you finance the chain of buying and selling homes, right? You're trying to sell your home. You found the home you want to buy. You cannot buy it because you haven't sold yours. So we basically finance that bridge. Uh, and that's something that in Latin America is very hard. In the US, is more simple. There's a lot more mortgages and a lot more uh, financial products. Not very They're they right? So we, we did that investment, uh, and also it was an opportunity for us to prove that our name could bring in other investors, right? uh, which we didn't know if we would hold. Right? We 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 
we thought, but by being the first commitment and allowing the founders to say, hey, we have already the, the money from Wolof, are you interested? It did help them with, with a lot of, of, of other investors. Latam still very much a herd mentality uh, place uh, and investors are very reluctant to commit without someone else committing first, right? So the, the sort of, I don't know if it's laziness or if it's fear or whatever, but investors tend to think that, well, I'm not going to do the hard work, let someone else do the hard work. And if they figure out it's good investment, then I'll look at taking another look, right? So, yeah. Can you tell the audience a bit more about your investment in LiftIt? So LiftIt was similar to, to, to Gastia. I mean, I think one thing that we've always tried to do is keep our criteria very consistent and very rigid. Uh, so I think all the companies, they share the same things about being investing in great teams, investing in very big markets, investing in companies with great product market fit, and investing at good valuations, right? I think those four things are across the board, right? In the case of Lifted, it was within the sector of, of you know, last mile delivery. Uh, we look at all the last mile companies like the Rappies or the corner shops, and we pass on all of them because of their unit economics, right? Uh, we, we don't invest in companies that sell dollars at 80 cents, right? Uh, that's not a business model for us. So uh, Lifted had this difference in that they were doing commercial last mile. Right? So you had much more steady revenues, much more higher tickets, and uh, that was another another company that we thought they had the right ingredients to get started. In the end, all of our investments are trying to prove a hypothesis, right? Uh, some of them do it, some of them don't. Um, that's the nature of the game. What should US-based venture capitalists know about investing in Latin America? I think the most important thing is the market dynamics here are much slower than the US, right? Uh, I think sales cycles are much slower as well. There's not as much capital, right? So what we've seen in the last few years where a lot of VC funds from the US never made it to Latin America, right? But they wrote checks from there and they did, did very due diligence thinking more about an arbitrage game where they said, if this thing scores 50X in the US, uh, it costs 20X in Latin, it's a great bet, right? Uh, without really understanding if there's a market for that in Latin, right? So I think I would never invest in a region that I haven't been to physically, right? Just to learn more about the place, the people, the dynamics. Uh, I think it is one, investing outside of your geographic natural habitat, I think it makes a lot of sense to tag along some local investors, right? Uh, I think if I, was, if I was gonna invest in Cambodia, I would probably try and find the best investor in Cambodia and see what they're investing in and why, right? Uh, you saw a lot of US investors not doing that and I think in this, I would say down cycle, but much lower cycle, you're, they're going to see a lot of those money, of that money go away, right? For a lot of them, it was throwaway money, right? So I don't think they care about it. But for the region, it's a bad point because these guys are not going to come back, right? These people are going to write it off as, yeah, Latin America does work. One real reason for that is that they didn't do the hard work about learning about it. You tweeted, one of the best pieces of advice I wish my younger self had known Whenever possible, get on a great team. I have a two-part question here. How do you go about building a strong team at Wolof? And what do you look for when vetting a team of a potential investment? So the first part is we try to find people that are going to be able to do this long after my partner and I are gone. Right? 
so we try to find that that sort of seed investment, right? Those people that that, that they they obviously don't have all the all the skills set up right now, but they're going to be able to build them. Uh, it's it's a work in progress, right? We 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 have yet to make a, a partner of our employees, and that's going to happen at some point. But we haven't gotten there. We only started building a team four years ago, right? Well, we've been around for almost nine. Uh, at the beginning, you know, the lean, the lean first years, it's hard to, to build a team. There's no money. Uh, we've always believed that in having people getting paid, right, which is something that, that we we think that people should be paid for their efforts and not have any opportunities to do that. So I think probably for our next fund, I would like to make a, a partner of our, of our current team. But it's always a, a challenging thing, right? Uh, getting getting this career track because it's also, it's like busy investing, right? People that might be great at what they're doing at the analyst level might not be great at the partner level, right? So it's a hard sell to, to think that someone you pick up so early, it's going to do all the all the growth, right? Uh, and the second part of the question, sorry, what was it? What do you look for when vetting the team of a potential investment? So that's really what we invest, what we invest about 80% of our time when we look at a company. And the most important thing is, are they going to be able to bring in people that are equally or better talented than they are? Right? Uh, all the companies we've had that have crossed the threshold to become great returns have been able to do that. Right? And it, it seems something very obvious, but it's not. Right? Every VC is going to tell you they're investing great, great, great founders. I think we're not the exception. We don't think we invest in idiots. Right? But uh, it's not enough, right? They can build a great business, but not a great VC return business. Right? VC return business are exponential. And by the nature of it, you cannot do it with one great person, right? You need a lot of good people. So we really try to think about how obsessed are they with talent? How good are they at selling that idea to the talent? And how good are they at retaining that talent by giving them great opportunities, right? So one mistake we did in fund one, which we've tried to stay away from it is this is a business where you don't win for being the smartest person right uh if you see something that no one else sees it's very unlikely that it's going to be successful because you need multiple rounds of financing you need multiple investors you're always going to be a minority investor so if i see a great company and no one else thinks a great company they're going to get more money right? so this is like uh i don't know if you've ever had a, a corporate uh finance class but one thing that, that always stood back in my mind when I was doing corporate finance is when you invest in a company on the public markets as a trader, you should never try and invest in the best company uh, unless you're a long-term investor. But if you're sort of trading, invest in the best company that more people are going to think is a good investment. And the best analogy for this is don't invest in the prettiest girl that's going to be winning this universe. Invest in the prettiest girl that more, more people are going to think is going to be able to win this universe, right? So that, that's a, the thinking part. Okay. Finally, I have to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question, but with a uniquely Samia VC twist. What important truth about Latin America do very few people agree with you on? I think I'm not that smart to have a, a unique thought uh, about these things, but, and it's not about Latin America, right? It's something that I I sort of screech when I, when I hear about it is people who complain about not being able to raise a fund or break into BC or whatever, right? Uh, like I said, 
why should I be able to build a building if I've never started engineering, right? It takes a lot of effort, right? And not everyone should be making should be making it, right? Uh, I think, and it's not because it's a privileged thing or whatever. It's just that it's a very hard thing, right? You can only have a certain number of people to reach that. Right? So that's one thing I think the world doesn't need. The world doesn't need more investors. The world needs a lot of great investors. Right? Uh, and getting there, it's a hard slog. And like I said, it's a very low percentage that you're going to make it. Right? And that's something people are not willing to live with. Okay. Cristobal, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the Simia VC podcast today. No, my, my pleasure. Thanks, Trip. Thank you for watching this episode of Simia VC. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you view your podcasts. Make sure to follow Cristobal on Twitter. He's an excellent Twitter. And also subscribe to Simia VC's dealflow.la newsletter. You can find that at dealflow.la.